Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Some splits, but 
that's about it. And uh, I was like, so eventually you're going to have to pay the piper. And listen, now the Braves have taken advantage of their schedule, right? So you you uh, were able to sweep a four-game series from Pittsburgh. Uh, you had Oakland for three. You got that. You won four straight. And I mean, Oakland for two. You had a, a four games in Colorado and were able to win all those, all four of those. So. After dropping the first two in Arizona and winning the last game to salvage that series, which didn't look good for them, this team has absolutely uh, caught fire. And now Michael Harris is just going yard uh, to <laughs> give the Braves another one. So, um, but they've taken advantage of this part of the schedule. It coincided with a Mets 10-game road trip out west to the Dodgers, Padres, and Angels. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what you're supposed to do right now. And so they've, you know, cut that deficit in half. And now we'll see. There's a lot more. There's a lot of tougher games coming up on the Braves' schedule, um, you know, after this week. They have these games in Washington, and they go to Wrigley, and then they come home, and I think we got Dodgers and uh, Padres or Giants or somebody coming in. So uh, it definitely gets tougher again. But the Braves have at least gotten themselves back into the discussion um, after a very uh, competitive and, you know, a very good run of games. And this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to beat the teams that that are below you in the rankings. I mean, you don't, nobody expects you to win 12, 13, 14 in a row, but this is what you're supposed to do as far as beating these teams. And you got to make up a little ground when the other team is uh, – They've got a tougher stretch in their schedule, and that's what they've been able to do so far. So, uh, yeah, let's start with the Braves, uh, <laughs> and then we'll move on. I got some ideas. I don't want to step on you, uh, Nate. So, uh, you know, however you want to uh, uh, go with this, and, and we can as well. I, I feel like we were able to work it out pretty well last time. So, what are your uh, what are your thoughts to begin this today? And I am fine with this flowing organically, however way you want to go. You've got ideas. We can do those topics. I mean, we, we're starting on the base. I know that we uh, – before we go any further, I will say I noticed when we set up this, when we set up this evening, I do believe we are set up for a 90-minute show. So you get a little bit of extra cooking out of the baseball buffet here this evening for everybody that wants that so badly. Uh, but, yeah, you know, we – We've talked about the Braves throughout, and you know you you touched on it when you you mentioned it when you were going through there. How bit of a rough start, but I know that we've said multiple times, don't sleep on Atlanta. Like, yeah, the Mets are out to their hot start, but not that the Mets are going to go full Met, and they still haven't. I mean, they're five and five in their last ten. They're playing right around five hundred ball. Yeah, you know, win streak of one five and five in the last ten. They've had some. Some rough goes there. They, uh, I, I don't know. Did you watch any of the uh, Sunday night baseball game between the Mets and the Angels? Yeah, I did, and yeah, I I think the I still think the Mets offensively are better, and so they've done a lot more to absorb um, some of these losses. And they're gonna they're gonna get some guys back, which I think you know. But this Mets team is is. I think markedly better than they have been in past seasons. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I I definitely think that's true. Now we're approaching, we're coming up on the time around last season when everything kind of went 
you know, bad news bears on the Mets, and they just literally fell apart down the stretch. I don't expect anything. I don't expect them to collapse quite that bad because I do have some faith in Showalter to keep everything together and keep that team pointed in the right direction more so than they would have last year. But, you know, let's say this 500, this streak of 500 baseball that they're playing right now, let's say this extends a little bit longer. And the Braves, not that the Braves are going to keep winning 12, 13, 14, 15 games in a row, but, you know, say the Braves are winning two out of three. They're winning every series, two out of three, two out of three, and the Mets are kind of, you know, just keep chugging right along at 500. At some point, you're going to you're never going to convince me that the Mets aren't going to peek over the back of their shoulder and be like, "Oh crap, here they come again," right? Like teams do that. This is baseball. Like every time that you think you've got it wrapped up, as soon as somebody starts creeping up on you, you start to look over and then you get tight and then you start swinging at pitches that you're not supposed to swing at. You start your pitchers start thinking they need to be a little bit too perfect, a little bit too fine, and then all of a sudden they hang that breaking ball that needed to be buried in the dirt. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, and it does kind of make you tighten up. Like I said, I do think that at least some of the guys that they added to that roster are guys that have been successful. Um, and they mm-hmm. and they do have some better bats on that team now. So, um, you know, I'll be interested to see um, if they can continue, continue to string together the kind of production they've been able to get on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Braden Nemo is still kind of coming back. Mark Can has been good. Uh, Jeff McNeil's, McNeil's been very good. And then can Lindor keep it going? Like, you know, last year he got off to such a terrible start. But the team was still good. Uh, but this year he started off hot and kind of stayed that way. So, uh, But I, I do think it will be interesting to see if they get Scherzer and DeGrom back pretty soon. Uh, you know, once you get those horses back at the top of that rotation. But, I mean, yeah, to your point, Mets were off last night. So, uh, and and let's be clear, I still think a lot of this 5-5 five and five run over the last 10 from the Mets had to do with that West Coast swing. I mean, you, they split two, they split four in L.A. with the Dodgers. They they did lose two out of three to the Padres. And then you take two out of three from the Angels on the back end. And the Angels finally broke that 14-game losing streak or whatever it was. It got Joe Madden fired and uh, Phil Nevin promoted. But uh, this... This team did have a tough stretch of uh, of teams right there, and there have been some Mets teams that might have collapsed, and that would have turned into a three and seven or two and eight road trip. And this team didn't do that. Yeah, you definitely definitely make a good point there. And and maybe it's just me. I think if you play five hundred on the West Coast trip, that's more impressive. That especially as an East Coast team, the East Coast team going west and playing 500 ball, I think that's way more impressive than, you know, like a, a, a Braves team going up and taking a swing through St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee. Not to say that those teams aren't good and that you should expect to do better than 500 against St. Louis, the Cubs, and Milwaukee because, you know, that's a heck of a road trip in and of itself. But when you're going from Atlanta to the central time zone, that's not nearly as 
taxing on you just from a travel perspective as it would be to go all the way from Atlanta and then have to play the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants, and maybe they squeeze in a maybe because the MLB schedulers just seem to be sadistic, sadistic people. Maybe they squeeze in an Angels or a or a Mariners trip in there too. You know, no, you're right. right. Like, and the Braves have travel definitely is a thing. You're right, and the Braves have gone out there before. And I, I remember there was a thing in the NFL, just to kind of draw a comparison with sports, there was a thing in the NFL um, a few years ago where the Rams were the only team that kind of broke this, but like West Coast teams coming east and having to play, you know, those noon central, 1 o'clock eastern games, which end up being like 10 in the morning um, on yeah. the West Coast. Teams were not, even against better teams, teams were not having a lot of success uh, making that. So anytime you got to cover multiple coasts and go through multiple time zones um, in order to in order to get a, uh, you know, in order to play, like I feel like that's tough. You, you, it's tough on your body clock and everything else too. So um, it's it's not easy to do. Just a brief non-baseball offense, since you brought up the uh, NFL scheduling, I think I saw something earlier this season when the schedules got announced. Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, my my boys, my NFL team, did I see that they do not play a game outside of the Eastern time zone in their regular season schedule? I don't know. I'd have to uh, I'd have to look at that, but that's <laughs> crazy. And how are you a Bob? Well, sure I mean, I guess – every game in the Eastern time zone. <laughs> I guess maybe the Ravens not coming till late. That would make sense. So I was about to say, do you know what kind of rivals Baltimore and Pittsburgh are? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I will say, when the Ravens moved from Cleveland to Baltimore, my dad bought season tickets to the Ravens, so I grew up going to Ravens games. But my mom and my entire mom's side of the family are born and raised Pittsburgh people, so I grew up in a Pittsburgh family, going to Ravens games and going to Orioles games. So that's – it doesn't make sense to anybody every time I explain it, but that's how my fandom shakes out the way that it does. <laughs> I got you. All right. Um, so yeah. we got uh, – you know, you, you look at what's happening there uh, with the Braves, and then we also – we've seen the – we've seen a couple of uh, other streaks like – Milwaukee lost eight in a row before they got off this night on Sunday, so uh, that has vaulted St. Louis into first place. Uh, Milwaukee kind of fell in hard times. Philly loses Joe Girardi because they fall in hard times, and then they proceed to win their next nine. Like, they had nine straight wins, and uh, the Braves had ten, so they were only one behind them. Um, And so they went on a run. After letting their manager go, the Angels have not quite found – similar success. So, uh, you know, we've had some streaking teams and some teams that have kind of been down a little bit. I guess let's let's go there next, Nate. Just any comments on losing streaks, win streaks across uh, Major League Baseball or anything that catches your eye there? Well, yeah, and I, I actually kind of thought about saying something about this the last couple of weeks we've done the show when we had – some of these teams that were mired in the middle of these losing streaks or celebrating their long win streaks. You know, we touched on uh, touched on the on the Braves win streak. We've certainly 
commented plenty on the Angels' losing streak. The Yankees currently are on a four-game win streak, and they've won nine of their last ten. Maybe it's a good thing that Dave isn't able to be here with us this evening, so we don't have to hear more about that. Uh, the Rangers, they're on a three-game win streak. The Pirates and the Cubs are both just in awful losing streaks. The Pirates have lost eight in a row. The Cubs have lost seven in a row. You know, it's it's interesting. Oh, the Giants, you know, the Giants have a four-game win streak. I guess my question would be, what to you constitutes a streak? Is it more than three? Like, do you have to hit, do you have to hit number four before we start talking about, oh, we're on it, we're streaking? Or are we going, uh, we going old school Lou Brown? We won a game today. If we win one tomorrow, then we're, then we're moving. If we win one the next day, then we're on a streak. I, I mean, I think technically if you can pull, if you can start, put together three and then you keep it going, then, I mean, I, I think that definitely counts as a win streak now. If it's three and and that's it, then, you know, obviously that was a short streak and we move on. But, I mean, you know, if you reel off four or five more after winning three and losing one, so now you've won eight out of nine or something, you know, now we still have something to talk about here, right? Like you're still stringing together some good baseball. So, um, yeah, but, but it's been really interesting. Like there have been, it's been a very streaky season. I think that was like the the story of the first third of the way of this MLB season. I think has been about just these extended, prolonged streaks. The Yankees have had their long winning winning streak. The Angels with their long losing streak. The Cubs and the Pirates in the middle of their long losing streaks. The Phillies with their long losing streak. It's and then win streak because they won nine in a yeah they they won nine in a row. You know, right after that, I think some of it's health. I think some of it is baseball just being a strange game. Sometimes balls find holes. Sometimes they don't. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Um, But I I will say that you know it. It's funny that the Atlanta Braves were the last team in baseball to win three in a row. Uh, Pittsburgh was the team that did it right before when they went to the Dodgers and swept three, uh, which is strange. Um, But they go to the Dodgers, get three, so they're on a three-game streak, and they were the the last, uh, the next to last team in baseball to do that. The penultimate, if you will. And then um, the Braves, then, as soon as they hit three, they just kept going, right? So uh, now you're you're looking at 11, 12 games now that they're on. So now they were the last team to win three, but they have the longest winning streak in the majors this year. You know, it's a a bit of a shame, though, some of these losing streaks, how it really can just – early on, just take the wind out of your sails. Like, you know, we were talking about Atlanta, not Atlanta, we were talking about the Angels as a contender. And you still look at that roster, you know, we talked about them last week, about how, depending on how you want to spin it, you can look at the roster and say they are a contender. You can look at the roster and say, like, where are they going to get the offense from? Where are they going to pitch? But they, they've won games, and they're going to win games the rest of the way. But that losing streak just kind of makes you look at them like, no, they're not, they're not there. And, like, the Pirates, now nobody thought that the Pirates were going to be good this year. I mean, I'm even looking, I'm looking at their expected win-loss record right now. They should be 20 and 40. They're playing, they're up at a 24 and 36 record. So, I guess technically they're playing above their head, more or less. But, you know, they were, 
before this eight-game losing streak, they were actually, well, yeah, let's see. They were, if we take the eight losses away, they were 24 and 28. They, they were four games below 500. They were actually making a go of it. Not not that they were ever going to challenge St. Louis or Milwaukee for the division, but they were in the conversation. Like, they were interesting. They were third in the they, they weren't. Yeah. yeah, well, and they're still sitting yeah. there because, you know, the two, the two teams behind them are the Cubs and Cincinnati. And, and the, the Reds Cubs are playing are better ball after a terrible start. Like, the Reds are – They, yeah. <laughs> you know, they went 2-2 two and two in Atlanta to start the season, and then they promptly proceeded to lose, like, two out of their – I mean, they lost, I don't know, 21 out of their last 23 or something dumb, out of their next 23, or, like, they <laughs> – two. <laughs> They only won two out of their next nineteen or something. They were four and twenty three at one point. Um yeah. so they've been playing a little speaking bit more respectable. Now we have been once yeah, speaking of streaks. Now we have been really, really hard on the Pittsburgh Pirates on this show. Um and we're not the only ones. Uh, but the the Pirates um they showed me a little bit this past weekend. I mean they didn't win the series, they didn't catch a game, but that kid that they got back um, from San Diego in the Adam Frazier deal, kid named Tucapita Marcano, um, he's a pretty good little second baseman, man. Like, he was all over the field for them, uh, got several hits. You look at him, Brian Reynolds, um, and Key Brian Hayes. I mean, they have a little something to start trying to to start trying to build now. The Pirates will find a way to sell them off for parts or whatever, and, and we'll see. But uh, they have a little something to build around. Yeah, they they really do. I mean, there's nothing in their pitching unless, I guess, Mitch Keller would be about the only guy to get a – Now, this new guy they just brought him. up is pretty good. Uh, well, Cort- yeah. what's it? He's pitched pretty good his first couple starts, too. Let me look him up. I'll tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of it right now. But go ahead. <laughs> should should point out the uh, you know we touched on the Braves score. How the Braves are the Braves are up nine to three on Washington and good, get them out of there. Uh, the just gonna run down while you're looking up the uh, the Pirates picture. Run down a couple of other scores here since we touched on some of these teams. The Phillies are up eight to four on the Marlins in the sixth. Yankees, ho-hum, 2 nothing against the Rays, middle of the seventh, blah, blah. The Orioles currently beating the Blue Jays 6-4. to four. And why did we just go to – I looked away, and I don't know why we're in a commercial break. Maybe there's another pitching change, although I don't think Felix Bautista – no, he hasn't faced three batters. Oh, he got uh, – The White Sox are up 5-1 to one on Detroit. The Mets – you know, we talked about the Brewers hitting a bit of a rough skid. And now the Mets are in. Now they're playing the Mets. The Mets are up nothing on the Brewers. Boston continuing their trudge through the softest underbelly of their schedule that they could possibly have, so that they get to stay relevant. They are up six nothing on the Athletics. Pirates down seven to one to the Cardinals. Paul Goldschmidt, I believe I saw. Does he already have two multi-run home runs tonight? I think. So. Probably yeah, the Pirates, the game. Cardinals won game one, three to one also. They're playing two today. Yes, yes, you are correct. And they're already just stomping on the Pirates in the nightcap. Rangers winning the Battle of Texas, one nothing. The Cubs 
are up on the Padres 4 nothing right now in the top of the fifth. That's good to see. Kyle Hendricks on the mound. He is low-key one of my favorite pitchers in baseball. He's not having a great season this year, and he's kind of, you know, since the Cubs went into teardown mode, Kyle Hendricks not nearly living up to the billing that I was hoping he would live up to. He's a guy, though, that when I go to the ballpark, I like to watch him pitch. He's not going to overpower you by any stretch of the imagination, but the dude knows how to pitch. I like to think of him as a Greg Maddox light, like a and by light, I mean very light. I'm not calling Kyle Hendricks a, a future Hall of Famer. But he can handle himself on the mound. I really wish that he was pitching when I went to the game last night. But I did get to see you, Darvish. So that was entertaining. Uh, Cleveland Ronzi Rocky Contreras is okay, guy's name. Yeah. Ronzi Contreras has pitched 28 innings so far in the major leagues. Um, has one win, but once again, look at the team he's pitching on. Um, in 28 innings, though, he does have 33 strikeouts, a 2.57 ERA, and a 1.18 whip. So not bad for a young pitcher at all. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, well, I'm going to get a little bit, of, a little bit excited about. Better than a strikeout per per inning. Um, you know, as you're first coming up and and not walking the yard, like um, he may have. Uh, you know, we'll see what else they have coming down the pipeline. But, uh, you know, he's got the makings or he has the look of a of a long-time rotation piece for the Pirates. Ronzi Contreras. I'm sorry. I just have to – I have to chuckle at the idea of a long-term rotation, rotation piece for the Pirates. I don't think anybody plans on being in Pittsburgh longer than six years. Well, actually, make that four years because they'll get traded before they get to too far into arbitration eligibility. But yeah, you're, <laughs> it would be nice if they would, you know, come around to the idea of, hey, maybe we keep this guy around this time instead of selling him off the parts. But, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, obviously, the Pirates don't look like they're going to be snapping their streak tonight. They're probably heading for a nine-game losing streak. But hopefully the Cubs, you know, they'll be, they're up 4 nothing. Hopefully they can hold on to that one. They were up one nothing going into the, like, fourth inning last night. I don't know. I'd have to check my scorecard. And then they ultimately fell apart when Rossi went to the went to the pen and promptly gave up three earned runs. What are your thoughts? So we saw, we saw Philly dismiss their manager in a long losing streak. We saw the Angels dismiss their manager in a long losing streak. Do you think a team like the Cubs or the Pirates, who are currently in these long streaks, they're not going to fire their managers, right? That wouldn't make sense no, because I, they weren't expecting anything. I don't, I don't think so because they weren't expecting anything and because if you're trying to rebuild it all, the one thing that you need is a consistent voice. And neither one of those guys have been the manager long enough for their voices to grow stale. Like, I think that David Ross is a very solid baseball man who's been around for a long time, obviously, as a as a player in the game as well. Uh, very well respected. And I think he's the right guy to try to, you know, see what you got out of some of these kids and figure out what that next wave, you know, might look like for the Cubs. Because I think in a lot of ways, like, this season um, is – you know, um, on-the-job training for any of these kids in the Cubs system. 
to get a chance to come up and and get some innings or get some you know mound time or time in the field or some at bats, so they can figure out what they have moving forward, who can be a part of that rebuild and who's not. Um, because uh, at some point over the next couple of years, as they continue to put this back together, the Cubs will be among those teams like the Giants and or the Yanks or a few other teams that they will end up shelling out money on a star slash franchise player to sort of build around. Um, I don't know if it'll be this off season, uh, but in the next couple of years, the Cubs are hoping that they can develop some of this homegrown talent and talent they got in these trades enough to where they can start flipping the page and saying, okay, who can we add to this bunch kind of thing. Yeah, I so you you said something that um, that was a little interesting to me that that you feel that David Ross is the guy like you think you feel that he's the right guy for the Cubs during this rebuild. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I'm not sold that Rossi is the guy for the rebuild. I liked when he got – I liked when they brought him in and what was it? Was that 2018, 2019 when he first got hired, I think? And it was mm-hmm. – I think it was 19. Yeah. So when they hired him in 19, I kind of liked the hire, but I viewed it as we're bringing in David Ross. He was, a, he was the, like, backup, but realistically the third-string catcher on the team that won the World Series in 2016. He retires. They bring him in as a manager after Joe Madden departs and goes out to L.A. I liked it from the aspect of it signaled to me that the Cubs are saying, we've got one more run with this core. So let's see if we can go out and get that, get one more ring with this core before we have to then evaluate who stays and who goes. Obviously, hindsight being 2020, we can look back and see it didn't happen. We all know that. So I, when they were, when they started doing the sell-off, and I'm not saying that the that the losses that 2020, 2021 were in any way David Ross's fault. They, you know, the Cubs were what the Cubs were. You just have to kind of deal with that as it happens. But I'm a little surprised that he is still around in the dugout. I would have thought when they went into sell-off mode and went into this like pseudo-rebuild kind of thing that they would have brought in somebody new, like like what the Orioles did when they brought in Brandon Hyde after they dismissed Buck Showalter in 2018. Go with somebody, like, completely different. And see, give them I, a chance I think to the di- establish. No, I think the difference yeah, is, the- unlike Showalter, who was a longtime veteran manager, uh, David Ross is kind of new to the bench, right? Like that was his yeah. first ever managerial job. He was on TV um, for a year or two before that, I think, and just kind of uh, figuring out what, what was going to be next for him. So to me, like it doesn't surprise me, though, in that he's still fairly young. He still can do this for a while, so – like, let's now take a look as an organization. 
Let's see how you do with kids. Let's see how you do ushering in, you know, these new guys. Maybe maybe you know how to handle these players and do a nice job with them. You know what I mean? So let's let you cut your teeth as a manager as we continue to try to rebuild. Maybe there are some things that you do well that we end up really liking. Maybe there are some other things that uh, – some mistakes that you make, but this is the time to learn when when the – uh, situations are not high pressure, and if we like what we see out of you or we like the way you're progress- progressing as a manager, then why not keep you around? Uh, you know, it, it's that whole concept of sometimes a bird in hand is worth two in the tree. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I guess, yeah, you're right. The situation, you know, I'm I'm thinking of the – I'm comparing it to the Orioles hiring situation, obviously, and that, that is a bit different. Rossi was in a position when he got hired where they could just kind of be like – look, you've got the talent, go see what you can do. And now they can just kind of be like, all right, you know what? We were going to go somewhere different, but you're brand new to this. Let's see what you can do and kind of build your resume here. Speaking of Ross, it reminds me of a kind of random thought and a random topic that I want your thoughts on. Is it at all weird for you? Obviously, 99% of managers, they were all former players at one point. But most of these guys who are successful managers, like Buck Showalter, I think he never he never made it out of like what AAA. Maybe he had a cup of coffee in the major leagues. You don't typically see major league stars having success as men as managerial players. Is it at all weird for you to see like former All Star players now being managers for for MLB teams? Um, not necessarily. I mean, you think of catchers have always been decent managers, and there are certain guys. But, I mean, we have seen at times uh, players that were a little bit more gifted at least get a shot and or that are able to be uh, pretty successful. I mean, Larry Bird, for example, led a team to the NBA Finals. Jason Kidd's been a was a multiple-time All-Star and – he's had some decent success in the coaching world. So, I mean, we, we've we seen it before. It, it tends to not necessarily be the case, but, you know, um, just because you were an all-star and not a scrub or a backup catcher, if that's something you uh, something you choose to pursue, why not have a shot and see what happens? I, I, I guess maybe it just makes me feel older than I actually am to, like, look out and be like, oh, now David Ross is a manager, or oh Mike Matheny is not, or not Mike Matheny. Um, but yeah, Mike Matheny, he was a he was a manager fairly big for a while, name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, Craig Council being a man being a manager in the major leagues. Now it's like I distinctly remember watching him play as a player. It's weird now to see him over on the other side of the other side of the dugout throwing out the lineup card. Well, Mike, you said you had a list of some topic ideas that you you wanted to hit on. What is, let's throw one out there. What, what you got for me? Um, so I thought we kind of hit a few teams. Uh, we we've talked about the Yankees a little bit hitting well, but like our head honcho, <laughs> our uh, our our main guy here, Timeless Wonder, uh, TP. Without him, I wouldn't be here. So uh, shout out to him. Um, 
but Thomas is a big Twins fan, and um, so we can talk about the Twins and what they've uh, what they're looking like lately. You want you want to go there? Yeah, let's. Sure, lead us off. What you got? All right. uh, so the Twins, man, they they're starting to mash a little bit. They, don't, they didn't win the series against the Yankees, but I think they got two out of three from the Blue Jays. Um, they really managed to keep their head above water. Buxton starting to round back again. Luisa Rice is leading the world and hitting right now. He's starting to show you what a star he is. Um, you know, they're starting to get Correa back. They they lost Royce Lewis, which was uh, uh first-round draft pick, a guy that they were really high on um, because of an injury in center field. Um so I mean that that loss hurts, but they you know they've got Trevor Larnack back and he's uh, hitting the ball pretty well in left field, and the question is can they just keep their heads above water long enough to get their pitching back because they were able to get out to a lead in that division, and still the White Sox haven't caught fire and the Guardians are the Guardians, uh, they can pitch and their their offense is a little suspect so. I feel like the Twins are still in very good shape right now in that American League Central, and they're continuing to uh, put together more quality performances than not. Uh, so that would be my comment so far on the Twins. And you got Joe Ryan, who had an unbelievable uh, start to his season back on the mound tonight for them. So um, we'll see what that looks like. I'm going to update them in a minute as we go along, but... Do you have any thoughts on the Twins? Well, you know, we didn't even touch on the one guy that uh, I remember early on in this. Was it early on in the season? Or was it still – it might have even been spring training still when you, you, Dave, and I were talking a little little bit on our little side chain. And Dave loved to remind me about how I said that I – at one time early on in the season, I said that Byron Buxton might be overrated. And it was – entirely down to the fact that he has yet to stay on the field for a significant amount of games. He's had one, yep, looking back through his page, he's had one season, 2017, where he played 140 games, finished, won the gold glove, finished 18th in the MVP voting. Ever since, well, and he played 39 games in 2020, which was, you know, the 60-game shortened season. Every other season, he doesn't even come close to playing half the games. So far this year, Byron Buxton has been on the field. He's been healthy. He's got a 905 OPS. He's got a 156 OPS plus, which for everybody who's listening that doesn't know what that means, it basically translates to he's hitting better than 56%. He's 56% better than most of the average major league players. Batting average a little low, on base is really high, absolutely tearing the cover off the ball for power, playing great defense. So, you know, if he stays on the field and they get everything and everything else just kind of like stays in line that you that you brought up, I could see Byron Buxton making that dark horse run for the AL MVP. I just, you got to, you, you want to see him stay healthy. These guys are young, bright spots in the game. You don't want to see the best players in the game hurt and missing time. So, Byron, whatever you've been doing through the first third of this season, 
keep doing it, stay healthy, keep tearing the cover off the ball because it's making the AL Central much more fun to watch. It's not it's just not fun when you have one team like the White Sox just running away with it like they did last year. They had it sewn up with I think like a month and a half left to go in the season. That's not fun for baseball. You know, um Luisa Rice is leading the world in hitting when he's hitting three sixty. We haven't even talked about uh, what Carlos Correa has brought to that team as far as a veteran presence or whatever. And they, they've lost Miguel Sano, which uh, has kind of worked out for them because with Polanco and with other guys on that team, Luisa Rice has been able to settle in at first base um, and be a regular fixture in that lineup. So um, it has sort of panned out for them. Joe Ryan is getting back on the hill tonight when they play in Seattle. Um, here at 1010 Eastern. So, uh, in about the next uh, 30 minutes. Uh, speaking of that, they were almost to that halfway pole. So, real quick, um, Sports City Chefs, uh, the baseball buffet is brought to you by uh, PHI Apparel. If you want to check out your Philly gear, not only your Philly stuff, but Eagles with um, training camps coming up in the next month, a month and a half. Um, PHI Apparel has all your needs. Philly clothing for any of you that are Philly fans or if you know somebody that are and you want to get them something nice. Uh, check them out, phiapparel.co, not com, but co. Use that promo code CHEFS at, discount, at uh, checkout and get yourself a 15% discount. We are almost halfway through this show. Um, if you want to call in and join Nate and myself, on the baseball buffet and call in and share any thoughts that you might have about any teams, players, or anything baseball related, feel free to call in. The call in number is 929-477-2759. Once again, 929-477-2759. So feel free to call in and join us. Uh, Nate will let you in and we'll be happy to hear your perspectives or opinions. I do want to really quickly... Uh, Nate, before we get back into stuff going on in Major League Baseball, I would like to take a couple of minutes and update the College World Series as that's kicking off this weekend, and now we know who all is going to be there and what that's going to look like. So I thought that I would update the brackets and and let people know who the eight teams are that are going to the College World Series and where they are in the brackets and that kind of stuff. So uh, really quickly on that. Uh, so the Notre Dame Fighting Irish went to Knoxville this weekend and beat uh, the team that a lot of people were saying could be one of the best teams ever, um, the Tennessee Vols. Tennessee was 57-9 and this year. Uh, they went 25-5 and in the conference. It was, ridic- it was ridiculous how good they were. Uh, the same college team led the nation in home runs and RBIs. I mean, I'm sorry, and uh, ERA this year. Um, so... That's what was putting them into that best-of-all-time type discussions. But they drop a series at Notre Dame at home, so Notre Dame advances through to the College World Series. Um, They play Texas, and then in that same bracket, Texas A&M plays Oklahoma. So you've got um, an SEC school, Notre Dame, and then two other schools that are coming to the SEC in the next couple years in the top half of the bracket. the winner of that bracket, so that works as just a four-team double elimination tournament. The winner of that bracket plays the winner of bracket two, which is the bottom half. And that bracket has 
Arkansas, who will be playing Stanford, and Ole Miss, who will be playing Auburn. So three SEC schools um, in that half. Stanford beat UConn um, at home uh, in, in Palo Alto, California, to win their spot. Um, Auburn went to Oregon State and won two out of three there to get in. Um, Oklahoma beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Uh, they went out there and won two out of three to get in. So the three, one, three, and four seeds were both all three beaten at home. Texas A&M was the number five seed. They won in two straight against Louisville. Uh, the sixth seed was Southern Mississippi, and they lost two straight to Ole Miss on their home field. Ole Miss was one of the last teams to get in the tournament, and. Uh, Ole Miss went into USM and beat them ten to nothing and five to nothing and two straight. Uh, the seventh seed would have been Oklahoma State. Arkansas beat them there, and then Arkansas went to to uh, Chapel Hill and beat North Carolina, best two out of three, in order to get in. And then the um, eighth seed was East Carolina, and they lost to Texas. So it was not uh, when you look at the the one, the three, the four, um, the sixth seed. Seven and eight. So uh, only two of the eight teams that hosted uh, this past weekend were able to um, advance to the College World Series. So that's what our field looks like. Um, Notre Dame, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma on one side. The other side has Stanford, Arkansas, Auburn, and Ole Miss. The winner of those two brackets uh, the winner of each bracket will then meet in the best two out of three the following weekend to determine the national champion, and that is my college baseball report. Love that. Absolutely love that. Where did um, where did Maryland ultimately end up? Because I know that Maryland had, like, a, an all Maryland hosted. Program. Maryland hosted, and UConn won that regional. <laughs> That's... Awful. That is absolutely embarrassing. Why can the Big Ten not play baseball? Well, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, they were in the ACC for a while, but Maryland uh, had a really good year. They hosted. There was a few other Big Ten teams that were there. Um, but Maryland was the only Big Ten team to advance to the Super Regionals the second weekend of the um of, of the tournament. Uh, really quickly, yeah. um, the L.A. Dodgers have fallen on a little bit of hard times lately. Um, Kershaw just got back, but now you have Walker Bueller out. Um, they've kind of hit a little bit of a skid, uh, just sort of come back down to earth a little bit over the last week plus. Have you followed that at all, Dave? I am seeing, looking right now, they're four in the last six and in the middle of a three-game losing streak, and what a shame that is. You know, we <laughs> just talking about how it's baseball is more fun when there's teams actually in the competition. And so with the Dodgers kind of hitting their skids, it leaves the door open for the Giants, who they're still playing good baseball. And then San Diego, with Manny Machado having his MVP caliber season, Stand right in that NL West race. I and it was before that four out of six stretch that they lost yeah. three to the Pirates. Also, yes, because yes, that it was. that happened 
that happened before the Braves went on the streak, right? So um, then you're talking they've at least lost, if they're four and six in their last ten, then they've at least lost nine out of their last 14 or 15. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Now here's here's an interesting thought experiment for us to have. We've seen obviously we've seen two teams that fancied themselves contenders here. We've talked about them a couple of times already. We talked about them in previous episodes with the Phillies and the, and the Angels. If if this skid for LA develops into something serious and like not that it necessarily goes the way of the Angels where they're losing like 12, 13, 14 in a row. But let's say that the Dodgers slip to third in this division behind San Diego and San Francisco. Does Dave Roberts Whatever. start feeling the heat? <laughs> Do you think the heat starts to turn up on Dave Roberts' seat a little bit if he slips down to third in this division and maybe has to settle for a wild card again? You know, that's a really, really interesting question. I, I, I think for the Dodgers, the answer becomes what do they do in the postseason? Um, I, I, I don't think, even if you have a wild card, they think this team's good enough to win the World Series. I think circumstances are going to depend, too. I mean, you didn't depend, you didn't expect Bueller to go out for a long period of time. Like, that guy could lose his whole season now. Uh we just got Kershaw back off the injury off the injured list. He pitched four innings last time out, you know, just trying to build back up. So we'll see what happens there and if he can uh if he can stay healthy. But I I think uh circumstances are gonna kinda dictate some of this too. Why is it happening? What are the reasonings behind it? Because I will say that it appears that Dave Roberts has a very good relationship with the front office. Um he kind of sets lineups and stuff. I, I still feel like he sort of gets some instructions from them on what they want done. And I feel like that at times you may be a little bit more hesitant to pull a plug on a guy if he's kind of carrying out orders from upstairs. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't, I don't necessarily think that he's in danger, but if, the Dodgers, like if it gets to the situation that we are into August, September, and they're fighting to hold on to that last wild card spot instead of fighting to potentially take the division, because everybody remembers last year it was the Giants and the Dodgers. The only question was which one was winning the division, which one was getting the wild card. We knew they were both in for the for the national for the National League and out of the West. But if that circumstance is different, and say that they're you know, in that last spot, potentially in danger of losing it, or if they do lose it, I I could see the Dodgers being uh, getting a little bit of an itchy trigger finger there. But I had a, I had a topic that I wanted to bring up with you and get your thoughts on. Since our show last week, there was another very interesting thing that happened in the world of baseball, and any time that I can just kind of dump on this particular manager, I'm going to jump at the chance to do it. I don't know if you figured out where I'm going with this yet, but <laughs> is that a real question? Is the where I'm going is where, what I'm going to pose to you. What are your thoughts on Tony LaRussa not only issuing the intentional walk to a guy with two strikes 
but issuing the intentional warning, and then when he gets called out for why he did it, having such an attitude with the reporter after the fact. I mean, it's 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 petulant, it's childish, <laughs> it's unbecoming of a of a veteran manager who has had the kind of success that he's had over the course of his career. And listen, it's not like they walked him on a three-two count either. Like it was one and right. two. Like. Your pitcher has done the work to get ahead. Like, if I'm the pitcher, I'm mad. I'm like, what? If you wanted me to walk him at the beginning of the bat, fine. But I'm up one and two. Nobody's impossible. You're telling me I can't get this guy out. I've already got a two-strike. You know, and then, of course, you walk him, and it gets compounded by the fact that Max Muncy then goes yard. That was his first game back, too. Like, I mean, I guess you could see what he's thinking. Okay, Trey Turner's been so good. Uh, we put him on and get to a guy who's just coming back off the I.L., maybe still rusty. You know, maybe that's an easier out. But, um, listen, to do that after you got a 1-2 count, that's that's dumb. That that You can't defend that. Like I said, I feel like if he had done it at the beginning of the at-bat, even though it, it might have come into question some, it would not have been as scrutinized. And And at some point, they're going to have to do something – um, because in some ways now I think they're winning in spite of him. And they're still not winning at a very I, high clip. I fully agree with that with that take. It's you know, I want to I want to root for the White Sox. Not maybe not root, but I don't want to see the White Sox do poorly because there are a lot of young stars, budding young players playing down there on the south side. You want to see them do well between Robert, Jose Abreu's not young, but I love watching Jose Abreu play, Moncada, just the guys that they can trot out there. They can play fun baseball. But then you just have every year, it seems like there's something else that Tony Russo does to make himself the story instead of how well his team is playing. And it's, I, for all the success he had, in Oakland, for all the success he had in St. Louis, now I'm at the point where when it comes to Tony Russo, I'm like, dude, hang him up and just go do anything else. Stop managing baseball because you're at this point it's becoming it's it's becoming a farce. Like, how is he going to prevent the White Sox from being all they can be at this point? Like you said, they're winning. They're not winning very much, but what they are winning, they're winning in spite of him. He just gets in his own in his own way. I almost expect him to like get get arrested coming out of one of the South Side bars on his way into the stadium next time because that's just apparently what he does. It, Asking them if they know who he is. Yeah, Tony, we know all too right. well. Right. <laughs> yeah, Tony, that's exactly why we stop you. We know who we we know who you are. We don't want you in the stadium tonight. But yeah, I think the for all the weapons that the White Sox have, both on the mound and in the batter's box, the best thing that the White that the Twins have going for them right now is that Tony Larusa is still filling out the lineup card. No, and even though he was a hothead at times as a manager and got himself in hot water, and he didn't make it very long as the as the Braves manager, um, 
I feel like that Ozzy Gian would be a better option than Tony LaRusso right now. He's a guy that I'd like to see get another shot. Ozzy, Ozzy was a fun manager. He was a fun guy to, it, to have out there. And he's had three shots, though, right? Like, he's a yeah. White Sox <laughs> manager, the Marlins manager. the Bra- But I still think um, you're better off to give him a fourth shot than have um, – than have Tony La Russa continuing to uh, toil away. And it, it's really sad because uh, with a guy that's had that much success and been so good in the game and been that influential, like, you hate to see his swan song be such a pitiful ballad that sounds like a bunch of out-of-tune broken instruments. Uh, but that's what you have. the analogy. Right? Like, that's what you have right now. And it's sad to see. Um, and, and I'm almost scared, like, I think it would be more likely with a reporter than a player, but it's like, I don't want us to have some kind of uh, dramatic, you know, Woody Hayes moment or something where he <laughs> flips out and punches somebody. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, so we kind of touched on, you know, we talked about managers a little bit earlier, and, you know, I brought up, you know, some of these former players, star players that are getting a crack now. And we talked about guys like Brandon Hyde and uh, David Ross who are getting their, for lack of a better term, their auditions as managers. If you've got a team that's coming of age and they're getting ready to compete, would you rather see your team go the route of the Mets and the White Sox where they brought in these legends uh, as far as baseball managers are concerned and bring in a Buck Showalter, a Tony LaRusso, two guys that obviously have job openings now but have proven themselves winners? Would you rather see your team bring in a Joe Girardi or a, or a Joe Madden? Or would your prefer, do you think it's high time that we start seeing some of these guys step out and give the next crop of managers a shot to get into the game? You know, I, I think it depends because I I think some managers are still good for the game. Um, listen, Buck Showalter has found a way to win everywhere he's gotten. Now, he has seemed to be, uh, until Baltimore, um, he has seemed to be the guy that sort of gets the – Gets the the train back on the track, if you will. I I say he got moving back in, on track. He, yeah, he he did, but then they completely kind of fell back off. Whereas, like when he left Arizona, yeah. when he left Arizona, they were able to compound that and and continue with that momentum and going to win a world title. When he left the Yankees, yeah. uh, you know, they were able to win a world title that next year uh, with Joe Torre's first year in town. So. He's he seemed to have, have helped struggling franchises sort of get everything back on the rail, and then they realize their ultimate success after he leaves. But he at least gets things, you know, back into a perspective. And, and you're right, like when he was with Baltimore, you know, Baltimore was in the playoff discussion at the end of the season, um, and there are not many managers in Baltimore that can say that over the last uh, twenty years. So no, they absolutely cannot. <laughs> And so I, I look at that and I think, okay, so some guys, even though they're older, are still kind of good for the game. Uh, some of these older guys, though, 
uh, you're starting to wonder if dementia or they're starting to become a little senile. <laughs> um, and so you wonder, like, is it time to pack up? All the instruments are broken. They're not in tune anymore. Somebody ran off with the tuning forks. We just can't get it together and put together a harmonious sound anymore. So it's time to pack up our stuff and go home. Yeah, you know, I've had this thought, not not just in baseball. I kind of have this thought every time I hear about a new hire across most sports. So, like, I personally I'm very big into uh, European club soccer, specifically the English Premier League. And I see these okay. guys that keep getting keep, – I see these guys that keep getting hired to take over clubs that are really bad, like Roy Hodgson. It's like, this guy has not been good – for a long time. Like he's got a long resume of he's been around the game forever and yes, he's had times of success, but you look in the last five, ten years and his team is always at the bottom of the table. Why is this guy still getting hired to keep a team up out of the relegation zone? Or I look at college football and you see guys like, well, let's go to Maryland. Mike Loxley has the head coaching job in Maryland. They've to to his credit They've been better. Maryland has not been the absolute doormat of the Big Ten that they used to be. But Loxley was garbage when he was out in New Mexico State. But he gets a retread and gets hired in Maryland. And Or a guy like Lane Kiffin, who just keeps getting job after job after job. It's like, Lane Kiffin has not won anywhere. Why do these guys keep getting head coaching jobs? When, when are we going to well, give it to the next – that's your coordinator well, or something. Well, and I'll tell you what made the difference for Boxley and for Kiffin is they actually spent some time on saving <laughs> staff at Alabama, and that's where coaches go yeah. to sort of uh, try to retrain, you know, uh, get their careers back on track. Um, Steve Sarkeesian's another example of a guy that did that. Now he won at Washington for a little while. But Lane Kiffin is actually having some success at Ole Miss. Like, uh, the future is brighter yeah, for that yeah. program than, than it's been in a while. Um, I think it helped Boxley to get to a Tonga Vailoa's little brother um, at Maryland <laughs> to at least uh, kind of, uh, you know, to give them a little bit of production time. at the quarterback position. Yeah. And I had to say that yeah, once yeah. just so you wouldn't have to. Uh, it took me a while, though. It took me a while uh, to to get that one down. But, you know, spend some time under Saban. That seems to give you the uh, the the option to coach again. But you're right. We do see this along sports. And I think that uh, that's sort of a, a reflection of what we see even in corporate America. I mean, if you look – there's this whole axiom of every management job says we want you to have previous management experience. But if you never get that first job that gives you management experience, then where are you going to get it from? Right? So I, I think that you I think you see it in the coaching world too. Like there are a lot of times that certain programs feel like even if there's a guy that has um made some mistakes along the way and whatever else, if he can convince us that he's learned from some of those and that he's a, a better coach because of them, then maybe we take a flyer on him because he's an experienced hand versus a new guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I love the idea of new blood. I'm all, I'm all about giving the uh, 
giving the up and coming bench coach the shot. But give not that he's necessarily up and coming, but I I love that Phil Nevin is getting the opportunity to show his hand as a as the manager for the Angels to close out this season. And, and Rob I, Thompson I, also I like that. And uh yeah. in Philly get, you know, getting a chance. And one thing I will say really quickly, uh, as we move on from the, the, the struggles or the changes of managers in, in baseball is I listened to the Joe Girardi interview on Sirius XM right after the Phillies let him go. And I have to I have to say I respect the way he conducted himself in that interview and what he had to say. I don't know if you heard any about any of his comments after he was let go. I did not. Or or what he had to say about it, but he basically said like listen, this is a results-driven business. And we were struggling, we weren't producing the results and so uh, the the franchise felt like they needed to make a change to see if it would uh, maybe spark something. And regardless, he's like, "That's on me that we didn't deliver the results that that we should have." So he did not try to throw the organization under the bus. He didn't try to make a bunch of excuses. He didn't go on and on about anything. Like that, he just said, you know, we're not producing the way that we should. It's a results-driven business, and we're not producing. Um, so I respect that and appreciate that from him. That is high quality. I, I do appreciate that he kind of owned what it was and didn't get, like, super cranky or bitter over over the firing and basically – Picked up, the, picked up the mail and acknowledged I needed to have been better. We thought we were going to be con- be contenders this year, and we've kind of played ourselves out of that. It's it's good to hear that he that he did own it a little bit. So, you know, we we have kind of skated around your Orioles a little bit. Um, in the last <laughs> week, uh, I think it's fair to say uh, we can report that Adley Rutschman has now hit his first major league home run. Did he, I don't. Didn't he hit his Didn't no. he hit his first home run a couple nights ago? No, he did not. We he is still okay. searching for his. Uh, he is still searching for his first major league RBI. He's he's actually. Oh, is he okay? I'm I'm sorry. I, I thought I, yeah. I there was an, there was a guy that hit one the other day and it wasn't him. I'm sorry. So I I stand corrected. I spoke um, prematurely. <laughs> well, so no RBIs yet. So from Rutgers. <laughs> Correct, but since we are on the topic of the Orioles, they are currently clinging, literally clinging to a 6-5 lead in the top of the ninth against the Blue Jays. You really want to see them pull this one out, pull back even in this series. Uh, we touched on Rutschman. Or you brought up Rutschman. He is, I mean, he, batting 183, got a 5.24 OPS. So, like, the, the offensive numbers – Definitely are not there yet. He is doing. I still say he's doing fantastically behind the plate, and you're got you got to. He's he's had 19 games, 78 plate appearances. You got to give the kid a little bit of time. To, yeah, it takes time to adapt to major league. Yeah, right. But now that we say that, he is approaching. He has had 78 plate appearances 
and he is still hunting for that first term. I'm still hunting for that first RBI. The Orioles' record is 141 plate appearances without an RBI, held by Caleb Joseph, who I believe currently is in the broadcast booth for the Toronto Blue Jays, oddly enough. Who is a catcher, so, by the way. Yes, he was, he was our catcher for during the 2012 to 2018 uh Maybe not all the way back to 2012, but he did. He was part of their successes and part of their failures at the end there. But yeah, Adley is a little over halfway to Caleb's record, and I think before Caleb set that record of 141, I believe the record was 90 something. So there is a chance that Adley hits that. I'm really hoping that before this game is out, maybe maybe he'll get a chance at an RBI and he'll just absolutely knock one in. He, I was watching his game. <laughs> the Blue Jays just dropped an easy foul ball, and Hayes is going get to get to stay alive. I was watching the Orioles-Royals game over the weekend, and Adley had himself an offensive night. I th- In his four at-bats, I think three of his four – at bats resulted in balls struck over 100 miles an hour. He was absolutely destroying the baseball over the weekend, and the results, you know, a little bit of it's a little bit of bad luck right now. It, you know, he's he is hitting some balls really, really hard, and they're just finding gloves. Uh, in the game tonight, he had a really long, hard struck ball to center field, but it didn't quite get out because the dome is open in Toronto. But he he's here, I think, more for his defense. Like they determined that he was ready to come up and play offensively and defensively, and the bat will be there. I'm not worried. I am not worried about Adley Butchman. Another guy that just came up for the Orioles, and he had himself a night. He actually got his first extra base hit in his first RBI in his first game is Kyle Stowers. He is on the team because they had to leave Anthony Santander back in Baltimore while they're up in Toronto due to the uh, COVID restricted list. And there there's some young bats. There's stuff to get excited about in this Orioles team. I'm, I'm, I'm loving how the, how the season's playing out so far. (laughs) Well, and uh, really quickly, Nate and I are with you for the next 20 minutes uh, on the baseball buffet. Thanks to uh, the Sports City Chefs and Blog Talk Radio and everybody that make this possible. And thanks to you guys for listening. If you want to get in and share perspectives with us, we're talking all things baseball, 929-477-2759. we got about 20 minutes left, so if you want to call us, um, dial. <laughs> and we'll be happy to, uh, to talk to you. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about these Orioles is a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this team, the last time you and I did this, um, without our uh, fearless leader, um, <laughs> you said uh, we were talking about something that happened involving Chris Owings, and your response was, um, "It would not hurt my feelings if he's not on this roster for much longer." Well, you got your wish. Uh, Chris Owings, as of uh, this weekend, was um, he cleared waivers and was uh, designated for assignment. So. Uh, Chris Owings is no longer a Baltimore Oriole. Just to uh, just to tell you that even for Orioles fans, sometimes wishes come true. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, 
what was the stat that we threw out? Like, I think he had he had like double the number of strikeouts to hits. It was, it was just at a point where you you just expected him to not make contact with a baseball when he was up there. Like, and this guy fell off. This guy fell off. Yeah. He looked like at one point he was going to be an everyday shortstop in Arizona. Then he kind of played in a bunch of different spots in the field. And I think his versatility is what caused him to still kind of stick around. Um, but he's, I mean, he's no better than, say, Jace Peterson, who has uh, filled in admirably at times and played a good third base for the uh, for the Brewers and has a decent glove and every once in a while shows a little pop in his bat. But uh, Chris Owings is more, definitely more closer to a Jace Peterson than, let's say, a Chris Taylor as far as his skill sets. Oh, Owings was only on the roster because you could play him in left field, second base, shortstop, third, but you could play him all over the diamond. That's the only reason he was on the roster, even out of spring training. You're absolutely correct there. And it's funny that you bring up Jace Peterson because he was an Oriole for about a year and a half, two years there before the pandemic season came along. And, and I – it was amusing. I was at a Cubs Brewers game a couple of weeks ago, and Jace Peterson was the only guy for the Brewers that was actually hitting the ball. He had a triple, I think, two doubles, and like two runs scored. Something like that. He was the best he, thing. He looked that, like a quality player. <laughs> the best thing that could have happened to Jace Peterson was to be able to go spend some time in. Baltimore on a team where they weren't expected to win and he was able to kind of play almost every day and and continue to develop his skills. He went to the Braves um, in the Justin Upton trade. Um, And so he played a little bit of second base for the Braves for a while before they brought up Brandon, before they picked up Brandon Phillips as a free agent and that sort of made Peterson expendable. And then, uh, Brandon Phillips held it down for about half a year, and then Ozzy Albies came up. And since Ozzy came up in in 2017, he's been a mainstay, um, you know, in that lineup and a fixture on that team until this um, until this recent foot injury took him out. Um, Last night, he just fractured his foot in D.C., so a uh, tough loss for Atlanta and for Jace Peterson, now Orlando Arcia, another uh, former Brewer who the Braves picked up last year after the Brewers uh, traded for Willie Adames to play shortstop. It sort of made um, it sort of made <coughs> Arcia expendable, and so he toiled in the minors for Atlanta a lot of last year, and then he came up and uh, had a very promise. I mean, he hit the ball pretty well for them late in the season. And when he has played for the Braves this year, he uh, he has definitely showed some pop in his bat. He, is, he does not get cheated up there when he goes to play. <laughs> he uh, He's going to get his cuts. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if he is a stopgap and, and can hold the – hold the fort down at second for Atlanta for a little while um, while they figure out how long Ozzy's going to be out with this foot or how much time it's going to cost him. I haven't seen anything uh, timeline yet. Yeah. So I – oh, it looks like – is the Oriole game over? Did they just win? 
Oh, they didn't win yet. There's one out in the bottom of the, one out in the bottom of the ninth. Sorry to interject there, but I I wanted to interject because I came I looked back up at the screen and I saw a guy for the Blue Jays sliding head first into first base. So this reminds me of another topic that I wanted to address with you and Dave, but Dave's not here, so we'll just address it with you and I tonight. What are your thoughts on sliding into first ever, but specifically head first? I don't get why there are so many guys that seem to be sliding into first base head first. You're just asking for an injury, in my opinion. I think the only reason to slide is to avoid a tag, right? Like, And you actually, you know, people do it, and, and I don't understand why. You're actually going to get to the bag faster by running straight through it. Uh, those are basic baseball fundamentals that we're taught. Um, baseball 101, if you will. And so I, I don't get why people are doing it. I think, like you said, you're asking for injuries. You know, somebody's going to tear up their hand or jam a shoulder or dislocate a finger or something, right, that's going to uh, keep them in that kind of precarious position, you know, for a while. So, uh, guys, stop sliding into first base. Just run (laughs) through the bag. (laughs) I could not agree more. It just – and it baffles me that it's these – real speedsters that are doing it too. Like I've seen Jorge Mateo for the Orioles do it multiple times. And you're just like, dude, you are the fastest or second fastest sprint speed in all of baseball over 90 feet. Stop sliding in the first base. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Vlad Guerrero Jr. In his first at bat in tonight's ball game, he got hit on the left hand by the Orioles starter, Jordan Lyles. In his second at bat, there was a thought that he might have been hit a second time, but they reviewed it, called it a foul ball instead, so he didn't get to take the bag. He ended, I think he ended up walking at the at-bat anyway. He just grounded out for the second out of the ninth inning, but before he did that, he had another fastball come in high and tight. I have a sneaking suspicion that there are going to be a couple of Oriole batters in the next game that are going to be uh, wearing a couple of baseballs whether that's justified or not. Now, I don't think any Oriole pitcher was throwing at Vlad, but, I mean, isn't that just how this baseball – isn't that how uh, the police their own bullcrap works? You hit my guy right. or almost hit my guy. I'm going to retaliate by coming after your guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I, I just don't I, – I just don't get it. I think um, <clears throat> Vlad is. I mean, I can understand why the Blue Jays might think he was um, he was targeted, and so they're tr- they're trying to police the game as we know, and try to stop some of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to forever be. You hit my guy, we'll hit yours, and <laughs> and and people are going to get people are going to get tossed for it. I'm going to put it out there to the to, to the Blue Jays. If you are so inclined to retaliate against the Orioles tomorrow, can I please just ask that you do it with like a breaking ball to the hip? Don't do it with a fastball to the head. Let's not get anybody hurt here. And let's not throw it. Uh, let's not throw it, Adley Rutschman, please. Um. <laughs> yeah, don't ruin the young guy's career before it even gets started. Yeah, I mean, 
And and you got to think that probably tomorrow they're going to be on high alert. So the first time something comes close to somebody, uh, you're going to see warnings. Even if if you don't see ejections, they may they may uh, dispense with the warnings at the beginning of the game. Uh, listen, nobody else brings out lineup cards today. I need both managers. <laughs> uh, and so they, they they may dispense with those warnings at the at the beginning of the game. Uh, really quickly, because we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, Ninety minutes can still go by yeah. pretty fast. The the Giants, you mentioned them earlier, playing better ball. They yeah. got two out of three from the Dodgers this weekend, including a shutout performance by Carlos Rondon and the rest of the staff uh, on Sunday. Uh, this Giants team, listen, they fought some injuries, but Jock Peterson's been good. Jastrzemski's been good. Um, and so even though guys like Crawford and Belt have struggled some this year, you know, other guys on this team are, are really stepping up and playing well for this club. Yeah. And, I, so, and somebody has a no-hitter through eight they're... innings, so I have to see who that is. I just heard them say yeah, has a no-hitter through eight now, so I have to check and see who that is real quick. See if we can. Yeah, and the Giants, you know, the Giants right now, they draw the Kansas City Royals. Logan Webb off to a nice little start here. The Royals do have a hit, so it's definitely not him. But you like the Giants' chances of maybe clawing back a little more, clawing back some more games on the Dodgers and the Padres, especially. Ooh. <laughs> The Cubs are trying to give the game back to the Padres. It is currently 5-4 in the top of the seventh inning on the up here on the north side of Chicago. The Marlins have clawed back in. The Phillies are only up 9-8. A lot of these games that looked like they were fairly comfortable wins got a lot tighter down the way. The Orioles have just finished off the Blue Jays. They won 6-5 after being up. 2 nothing, and then at one point six three. So the the Orioles take care of business. They got their win. I'm not seeing anybody with a zero in. Oh, there it is. Once again, the Pirates have managed to do this. The Pirates are in the eighth inning. They have scored a run, but they have not gotten a hit against the St. Louis Cardinals in their nightcap. <laughs> the... Um... The Atlanta Braves now have made 13 a lucky number for them. They pulled this one off over the over the Nationals. Uh, they hit five home runs again for the second straight night uh, to clinch that series. We'll see if they can extend to 14 tomorrow. Um, so they now have, uh, as I said before, the longest streak in baseball, and they have continued it. So um, good for them. Uh, the Giants played better ball. The pot. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to give a couple of other quick final scores. The Red Sox have polished off the A six to one. Mets took care of business with the Brewers four nothing, and the Yankees boring two nothing beat the Rays. Garrett Cole now six and three 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 six and one with a three thirty three ERA. Blah. Nobody likes when the Yankees win this much except for the people up in New York like Dave. <laughs> And it's it's interesting. I was so uh, I, I mentioned earlier that TP, uh, the timeless one, is a is a twin fan. But our other chefs that are staples of our shows, uh, like tomorrow night on the cookout, shameless plug, at uh, nine o'clock Eastern time, uh, Sirius Simmons uh, and and Barry Jordan, the villain. Uh, those guys are both Yankees fans to go along with Dave. So 
we have definitely hit the teams of most of the uh, chefs. I don't know who controversy, who James' team is, so uh, maybe if he listens to the show, he'll tell me, and I'll make sure that uh, they get a little coverage in uh, in future shows. But <clears throat> I, th- I think I've covered uh, I've covered most people's uh, stuff. Uh, yeah. In in the show today, and we got a few minutes left. Really quickly, I'm still impressed with the Padres, what they've been able to do, um, and still all of this has been without Fernando Tatis. Yep, and they currently have the – they're down one in the top of the seventh with the bases loaded and nobody else, nobody out. And former Oriole reliever Michael Gibbons is on the mound. <laughs> he has already – he walked the bait. He, Rock Man Machado to load the bases. He's currently currently ahead of I don't he's currently ahead of Luke Voigt on one. But this is not looking good for the Cubbies to snap their winning streak after they were up for nothing and thought that they were. But since you and, brought up And we've talked about it before, what a year Hosmer's had. Yes. Oh, he so he was the big blow last night in in the game that I was at last night. He drove in the what ended up being the winning RBI. Just a bit of a struggle before that, and then he just hit an absolute monster double in the seventh or eighth inning. It was, it was impressive. Great, great piece of hitting by Hosmer. They have gotten all kind. Of, they got all kinds of flack about that contract when they first signed him. Uh, signed him probably to a bigger deal than he should have gotten. But listen, he has uh, bounced back in the face of some adversity, and and he has been very very solid for that team this year. Now you couldn't you couldn't get him away. Whereas um, I think in the preseason and at times last year they were exploring is there a way for us to get out from under this contract? Um, but his season this year has been um, a complete 360, and he's bounced back and 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 really been strong. By contrast, you have to look at Jason Hayward's contract out in right field for the Chicago Cubs. I don't know why he gets to keep running out there. It's got to be because Seiya Suzuki is hurt, right? Do you know he just hit – this is a guy that when he came up had a ton of power and stuff too. I was shocked to read, like, you know, the Cubs kind of get lost and, and everything. But uh, Jason Hayward uh, just this past weekend hit his first home run of the season, and we're in June. It's just he's a, sad. He's a guy that I was impressed with him when he was in Atlanta. The Braves made him a, uh, a fair contract offer. He turned it down. And so the Braves then proceeded to trade him uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals. And then, of course, he ends up in, in Chicago the next year. St. Louis was hoping to re-sign him, but he, he goes to Chicago. Uh, but that's a trade that um, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the Braves made, <laughs> and and they were able to get something in return and continue to build that roster because Jason Hayward, as we have totally seen, he's put together a longer than average career. So I mean, he checks the boxes as far as being in the game longer than the average person, and he's he's had a nice career for himself as a major league baseball player, but he's not a building block for a successful franchise. No, he's not. Uh, 
since we did touch on it, we got two we got about two minutes left here. So I have flipped on this Pirates Cardinals game, and somehow the Pirates are the one team in baseball that's going to manage to get no hit twice, but still score runs. And they won their they won the game the previous time, beating the Reds one nothing, even though the Reds threw a no hitter. But there's another wrinkle to this. Mikolas is still pitching for the Cardinals. So this is not a combined no-hitter. This is one guy going for the no-hitter, and he just lost it. A long ground rule double to center field over the head of Bader. On what who was Mikolas? It was – oh, I wasn't paying attention to who the batter was. They'll show me again in a second. But uh, it was on Mikolas's 129th pitch. Why is this That's... guy still in the game? And it's a 9-1 ball game. Like, I'm, I'm all for pitcher, stretching pitchers out, and I love to see guys go get a complete game. But, Marmol, what do you, why is this guy still on the mound? It, it, it's not a shutout anymore. Get him out of there. You're going you're gonna to hurt this kid. Well, and that's one of those things that, as a manager, you hate to see that, a guy with a no-hitter late in the game when he's thrown too many pitches because you're going to get criticized one way or another. Um, the right call when you got that bigger lead, though, is to get him out. Uh, you know, the Dodgers right. got flack for pulling Kershaw after seven no-hit innings earlier this year. Um, and then Berlander was left in and lost it. So I know we're getting down to it. Um, we're getting down yep, to the last just minute. got the 60-second so qu- call. So. Uh, okay, so real quick, uh, we got the baseball uh, buffet on Tuesday nights. We got the cookout on Wednesdays. We have on Sunday mornings, we have the mothership of the shows, the Timeless Sunday morning brunch with Timeless and myself. Uh, thanks to all the Sports City chefs. Check out Clubhouse, Barbershop, PHI Apparel, uh, Baseball Collective on Wednesday nights. Man, Nate, it's always a pleasure doing the show with you, and we will do this again next Tuesday night. Um, to all of you out in Sports City, man, laissez-les bon ton roulet, and we'll talk to you all next week. It's been a pleasure again, Mike, as always. Good night, everybody. We will see you next week. All right. Take care. Play ball.